0: John, feeding thousands, read John six, one through 15. Now the commentators recommend reading the entire chapter to get a complete understanding of John's perspective. So that's not a bad idea. I would suggest you do that. We're going to focus on the first 15 verses, but the essence of this chapter is being fed by God, both physically and spiritually. We start with physical nourishment. But Jesus uses this miracle as a huge teaching point that most, including those closest to him, cannot understand. Just thinking about it in these terms causes me to pause and wonder. When we look at this quick outline of the chapter, I think you'll understand why. The first 15 verses are about the miracle feeding the 5,000. Then verses 16 through 24 talk about Jesus walking on water. In verses 25 through 59, Jesus tells us he's the bread of life. And he ends the chapter in verses 60 through 71, where many disciples desert Jesus. So with that framework in mind, let's kind of jump in here. Notice that Jesus recognized and participated in Jewish traditions. He was all about change, but he respected the feast and the other events that were part of Jewish culture during his time on earth. Most of these feasts were established during the time of Moses. The references to moses are not random or arbitrary these people revere moses as one of the most important men in history he led them through the red sea and jesus walked on water the people complained and through moses they received manna from god of course jesus feeds thousands from little the people remember that moses was the leader who stood up to pharaoh but jesus will not be seen as the leader these people expect. One of my motivations for blogging through the Old Testament a few years ago was the need to understand the history that was in the minds of the disciples. They knew the old stories well, I did not. When Jesus makes his tangential references to Moses, Elisha, etc., we can understand the concept much more when we have a grasp of the whole story. So my goal here is to motivate you to read the Old Testament through this perspective, nothing else. Here are a few links. 2 Kings 4, 42-44, Elisha feeds a hundred men with twenty barley loaves. In Deuteronomy 18, 15-19, there's a reference to the coming Messiah. Read the whole chapter with these thoughts in mind, then come back and consider the first part. Feeding thousands. One of the rare parallels through all four gospel records includes this miracle. Some suggest that John used Mark's notes to write this section, this may be the case, but what is significant to me is that the fact that all four include the narrative. So read Matthew fourteen, thirteen through twenty-one, Mark six, thirty-five through forty-four, and Luke nine, ten through seventeen. In John's account of this miracle, Jesus does more than just feed people. He tests Philip and likely the other disciples who weren't about to jump to Philip's aid. Read in John 6, five through six. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip had no idea how to answer Jesus. The task was far too daunting. Andrew chimes in with an idea, but he's cautious. In John 6, 8 through 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five loaves, five barley loaves, and two small fish. But how far can they go among so many? Did they actively search the vast crowd? In my imagination, I can see disciples trying to help Philip out looking for an answer that might come close enough that their master would fill in the gaps. Andrew takes the bold step with a caveat to save himself from certain embarrassment. Side note, John points out that the bread Andrew found was from that of a boy and that it was made from barley. Commentators report that barley loaves were considered poor men's bread, something like our present day pita bread. The reference to a boy is not unique, but it brings to mind the contribution of children to the kingdom. The vast majority of secret churches in China are run by teenage girls. Who would have thought boys and girls would play such an important role in advancing the kingdom? End of side note. Jesus blesses the bread and fish, and thousands of people are fed. 5,000 men were not alone. The total crowd size would have likely exceeded 10,000 people. This isn't the point. Even if it was only 5,000 in the miracle, it's far beyond any expectations. The crowd is moved by the miracle. Something special is going on here. John 6:14. we read, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. It's interesting that there's no reference to the teaching that Jesus no doubt provided. Such a large crowd must have included a worship band, prayers of the people, and of course a sermon. Uh, Sorry, I'm a bit cynical. Forget that last part. The food provided a sign that his message must have indicated. They heard his words, I'm sure of it, but more than that, they saw his hands perform a miracle. This is what they've been waiting for. In verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. Jesus and his disciples were way outnumbered. He escapes and sends the the disciples out by boat. We'll cover that story next. But listen to this. Jesus is not an idol. We cannot put Jesus on display as our personal Lord and Savior. He is not an idol to put on a mantle. He will not be placed in a box, not with a fox, not in a house, not with a mouse. No, Sam, I am. He will not. Uh, The wisdom of Dr. Seuss and green eggs and ham. Jesus withdraws from the crowd that wants to be led from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. While this is a noble cause, it misses the point that we'll discover as we keep reading. Lord, help us to understand the whole story as we appreciate each piece.